The sooner people realize that, the more they would reflect on what they're doing in a daily basis. So the big question is, what are top agents doing to absolutely crush it in real estate? To get the answers, we interview the top real estate agents to learn their secrets to success. If you would like one-on-one -on -one access to over 26 of the top agents in the country to help you scale your business, then head over to EliteAgentSecrets.com slash partner, or you can just click the link in the description below. My name is Andrew Dunn. And my name is Peter Michael. Welcome to Elite Agent Secrets. It seems like you guys have a very high level of accountability on your team. So I right. think that rolls us really nicely into topic number two, which is an accountability coach. You said that you guys report your numbers to each other and you hold each other accountable. We do. How is that different than the accountability coach piece that we're talking in topic two? Well, so it's interesting. I mean, I've always had an accountability coach for myself. So like I was part of the core coaching for 15 plus years before I could afford to pay for a coach. I always had an accountability partner. Like at my first company, I partnered up with someone that was sort of in the same stage of business. And we would each week we'd come in and be like, did you get your postcard out? Did you make those calls? Did you go to that event you said you were going to? And we sort of just held each other to our commitments, um, which was really helpful. But um, I find that, you know, when you're a new young agent, getting that from your brokerage is really helpful because it is expensive. Like if, you know, if we're all signed up for these various coaching and accountability programs, it's just more and more expenses. And so for us, instead of all of my agents joining various coaching programs, I coach them directly. So I'm paid to, I pay for coaching and then I coach them. And then we have individual accountability, but I have found that group accountability seems to hold people's feet to the fire more because nobody wants to show up week after week and be like, well, I'm the loser that didn't do what I said I was going to do again while everybody yeah. else is like an A player and real dialed in. So we found that like one-on-one -on -one accountability that gives people room to say like, oh, well, I was sick this week or my kids were sick or, you know, my foot hurt or my car was struggling. When we are in the group and you're just reading out like on track, on track, off track or green, green, red or red, red, red. It's like it's so simplified um, that it takes all the emotion out of it, out of it. Either you did your sales capacity things or you didn't. And then we can help you really quickly. Whereas when all the emotion comes back into it and all the side stories and all the reasons or excuses or whatever you want to call it, when all that gets baked back in, it's a lot harder just to like really whittle it down to like, okay, but like, what about the sales activity? Because at the end of the day, like it doesn't, if our spouse is off because it's a snow day, our spouse still gets paid through their W2 job, but we don't, right? Like we don't have the same liberties of people that are W2 salaried and we've got to work really no matter what's going on in our life or who's sick or who's tired or what family problem we have going on. So we just try to keep people kind of on track with that so that they don't have a lot of chance to get off course. And it's worked really, um, really well. And we have a lot of competitors too. So I think it keeps people like fresh and sharp and excited. What's When it comes to the accountability style, is there anything specific that you see takes a lot more effect by doing it in a group versus just the one-on-one -on -one stuff? Like, does the group kick in? Does the group feel that they need to um, help more per se or check in on people? Yeah, I think the group is really, 
So we are a little different than a lot of brokerages because I handle all of our listings for the whole company and I don't ever work with a buyer. I haven't worked with a buyer in five years. So if my best friend was buying a $25 million house, I would refer it to one of our buyer's agents and they don't ever work with sellers. So it's like, we are all truly one big team, which is a little unusual. Like we're a teamerage basically, but like your success is my success. There's not like this cutthroat competition between my agents. Like there is at other brokerages where truly you're direct competitors with each other. Um, So in our group, everyone is, it's really not like, oh, you're reporting you didn't do it. Like, oh, that's a slap on the wrist or you're a bad person or you don't belong here. It's really like, what tips can we share to help overcome whatever it is that's getting in your way? And I know we're going to talk a little bit about perfect schedule, but I find a lot of people sharing tips about how they adjust their days to get the activities done, how they adjust the expectations they set with their clients to make sure they don't spend seven hours with one client, you know, wasting six of them with stuff that they could have solved via email. So it's like, we all just sort of help coach each other. But at the end of the day, um, we always hire based on like hunger and drive and competition. So at the end of the day, there is some like self coaching of if you're not going to keep up and be an A player and do the things you said you're going to do. I think you will sort of coach yourself out of the company, right? It's just not going to feel in alignment, you're not going to enjoy it. You're going to feel a little at conflict with the rest of the crew that's working really hard. So I don't know. I think um, the giving each other tips and tricks is great in that bigger setting because it's not just like, oh, someone with 17 years of experience is telling you how to run your day. It's other people that are like going through the exact same growth phase that you are or have just recently gone through it. I just feel like it's a little more relatable and it's a little less like preachy, I guess, if that makes sense. Absolutely. One of the things I wanted to circle back on is the ideology of you only work with sellers. You only have people that work with buyers. You had a friend who's buying a $25 million. I wish uh, that's never happened, but yeah, no, I'm just, you, you know, get but, the but, idea. But let's say it's, it's a, it's a big deal. It's nice commission. Let's say it's a 20, 30, 40 K commission and you could right. be taking on that buyer. Why give it to somebody else? Then you know, is going to be really fairly easy for you to be able to do. Yeah. So that's just, you know, we have a a point of difference that we chose as a company to focus on is full-time expertise. So I can say to my sellers, like there will never be a moment when we're supposed to list your house today and it's supposed to be live and we're supposed to be doing all these blasts online. But one of my buyers that I've been searching with for two or three years has their dream house come on the market and I have to drop what I'm doing with marketing your house to go you know, show them that house and advise them and get them in on their bidding war. So we just decided that in an industry where it is a little hard to distinguish points of difference because we have so many realtors and there's so much overlap that like inevitably... Um, there are always going to be other people in your market that are basically operating the same way, no matter what you do. Um, We decided that we were going to at least funnel down to having the point of difference of having the team approach. So my buyer agents, all they do all day long is advise buyers and like beat the bushes to try to find random houses for sale, find things off market. Like they'll go sit at HOA meetings. They'll go door knocking. All they do is seek out houses for our buyers. And all I do as listing agent is find the next listing that's coming up and then figure out who's going to buy this house. How do I market it? 
what's the demographic? Like what, who's the likely population of the buyer and how do I get in front of that buyer? And there's no, um, there's no conflict of like times when you have to make a judgment call, like, Oh, I have to put my time into this buyer, which means it's taking time from the seller marketing plan that I've committed to. So, um, I think lots of people do it either way, you know, whether you're an expert or you're doing all things for all people, I think lots of people do it really well. We just decided that we felt like that was the best way for us to be true experts and to offer something different than what our competitors offer. And it's been really um, successful. I do think my ability to only focus on listings, uh, we do have the lowest days on market in our, our market. In a lot of the neighborhoods, it's, it's very hard to compare apples to apples across the market. But in a lot of neighborhoods, we've sold homes at the highest price per square foot or set records for the pricing in neighborhoods. So I do think there's something to be said for listing expertise and like my sole focus being on those listings. Um, but it just happens. It's definitely a very unique approach. I mean, I have people that I interviewed that say they are a listing agent, but they'll still do certain right. buys over a certain price point. And you're, right. you're drawing a hard line. Yeah. Because I also didn't want to communicate like, Oh, I'm just going to cherry pick the best people and leave you guys with the others. Because you know, it's like, I just don't. And, and then I, I just think, um, again, I can't be all things to all people and do it well. If I'm going to do that, I need to really go all in and do that and just only work my buyers and my sellers and refer everybody else out. But yeah, we set a hard line um, just so that I, I felt like we could recruit the best of the best here because they know I'm not going to cherry pick. And for any listing of theirs that I list, there's going to be a buyer of mine that they have the opportunity to work for. Um, so it just worked out really well. But we are a smaller market. I think it would be challenging if we were in this big giant sea of people and it's hard to be remarkable in a big giant sea of people here. We're a pretty small market. We kind of all know each other and it seems to work for now, you know, but I'm, I always say like at any given moment in time, the path of the industry could change and we would change course and we'd pivot quickly and we'd move to whatever we needed to do next. I think that comes down to really the ultimate accountability and communication, right? Because if if this is how you're running your business, your team has a level of commitment and also accountability that they hold you to. For so, sure. So so it's a it's a two-way street. It's like the it's like two-way reciprocity here. Like you're you're demanding and you're asking them for X and setting the expectations and vice versa. Um when it comes to accountability, what are some of the things that you find that agents do struggle with, or maybe they are kind of, you know, getting back into their old ways of doing things yeah. when you have the accountability? Because, I mean, I, I'll tell you what, I've been trying to get to the gym. I have not held myself accountable. I'm a little bit Mr. Fluffy over here. And somebody's right. going to be like, you're not fluffy. Trust me, I'm I'm a little bit more fluffy than I should. I feel be. you on that. I'm with you on and that. My accountability is posting that shit on Instagram, knowing that somebody's gonna call me out on my right. shit. People do. <laughs> they well, for sure. It's like I've done 75 hard and I'll work out twice a day for 45 minutes for 75 days. But when I'm not doing 75 hard, it's like I might go 75 days without a single workout. You know, it's like it's it's a what did I commit to? Yeah. What are people expecting of me? I will. I'll disappoint myself a lot sooner than I will disappoint someone else. I am not likely to disappoint someone else or not. Why, why is that? Because you're else. not alone. Just an FYI. I don't know. I'm, it's like, 
I don't know. And it's just myself. It's like, oh, nobody else knows. It's just another day. I'll just start over another day. It's really interesting. I have really strong feelings about this because um, I used to be the kind of person that would have a to-do list that would grow and grow and grow. You know, it's like 25 things long. You add a few things to it. You knock a few off, which is great each day. But I like, I used to love writing it. So every day I was like copy, like to, I turn a new page on a new day and I'd copy all 25 things down that rolled from the day before. And I remember like somewhere along the line, it wouldn't have been Ed Milet because this was years ago, but it was like some coach somewhere I heard talking about was like, well, the reason you don't have confidence in yourself is like things like that. You have a to-do list with 25 items. You woke up that morning in your mind, your poor little brain, like subliminally believed that you were supposed to accomplish those 25 things today. And when you only accomplish three, you're telling yourself that you're not honoring your commitments. You're not giving yourself confidence that you follow through on the things that you're supposed to follow through on. And it's just this constant like barrage at your confidence and like whether you're honoring your own word. And so I found simple things like just have a three item to-do list. Like if you get those three like needle moving things done, you can always add another one later, but it's like, you're not honoring your commitment to yourself. You lose trust in yourself. You stop believing in yourself. And that happens the same. Like if you say five days in a row, you're going to go in the gym and you don't, it's like, you're starting to train yourself that like, Maybe you're a loser. Maybe you're overweight. Maybe you're bound to be obese for the rest of your life. Like you're starting to train yourself that like, oh, I don't have discipline. I'm not committed to this. I don't do what I say I'm going to do. And I just feel like it's really important as entrepreneurs. The the greatest thing we have is our self-confidence. And if anything chips away at that or starts making us question that, then it's going to trickle negatively into every aspect of our business. So I, I just think like, yeah being held accountable, but trying to find ways if you know your own patterns of like, you're going to let yourself down on certain things. Like, what do you have to put in place to add that that next level? Like add someone else that you would be disappointing if that's what it takes to kind of get you out of bed or get you to do the things you're supposed to do. So I just have really strong feelings about that. I think the sooner people realize that, the more they would reflect on what they're doing in a daily basis and adapt a little bit just to kind of set themselves up more for success. I think it really comes down to not only holding yourself accountable, but also removing distractions that are around you that may may or may not be in your control. And I think it comes down to really scheduling and being mindful of what you're doing, when you're doing it, how you're doing it, so on and so forth. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you would like one-on-one access to over 26 of the top agents in the country to help you scale your business, then head over to EliteAgentSecrets.com slash partner, or you can just click the link in the description below. 